Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Ross Martin and Greg Barnes. You're listening to the Inside Carolina Radio Show. Greg, I'm going to start with you first. Carolina beats Gonzaga 103-90 over the weekend, and you pinned a column. You said UNC at its best in a win over Gonzaga. I say we have a three-way discussion on just how good North Carolina could be. They were pretty good Saturday night. I tweeted out that, Gonzaga shot 50% and had, what, 29 points off turnovers and still lost by 13. So, Greg, tell us why you think that's maybe as good as Carolina's going to be this year on Saturday night. Just because of the the offensive efficiency. I mean, we're talking about a team that averaged 1.23 points per possession, and yet they turned it over on a quarter of those possessions. And you know, in terms of offensive efficiency, uh, I don't know how much better you're going to get. Now, of course, they're going to be able to cut down on turnovers, and all the players after the game talked about how you, know, in, in most situations, you're not going to be able to beat an elite team by turning the ball over 23 times. So, no question, that's an area they can improve and they will improve. But I don't know that you're going to be able to be much better uh, efficient-wise. Even even when you factor in the turnovers, I mean that was their that was their best performance in terms of points per possession on the season by um, you know, a tenth, which is pretty significant. I mean that's what they did against UCLA, and when you factor in that you know Cam Johnson was on fire from deep, Luke May had his best game of the year inside, Seventh Woods gave a career performance off the bench. Kobe White put up some pretty good numbers, even though he did have a lot of turnovers. Um, you know, Kenny Williams was was okay. It wasn't a great game. Nas Little was okay. It wasn't a great game. But otherwise, I mean, you get nine and nine from Brooks. Um, so I think offensively, that's about as good as you're going to get. Um, you are going to trade maybe some shooting percentage for you know, cutting down some turnovers. But more importantly, I think – when you look at what this team has shown us through 10 games, so we're about a third of the way through the regular season, um, I don't know that we're going to see a team, this team play a lot better defense than what we saw against Gonzaga. Now, by no means am I suggesting they played great defensively because they didn't, uh, but Gonzaga's 51% field goal percentage was boosted by a lot of easy uh, layups because of some of those turnovers. And so I think North Carolina was better defensively than maybe what that percentage shows. But on the flip side of that, I haven't really seen anything this year to suggest that this team can be great defensively. I mean, I think Kenny Williams, we know he's very good on the perimeter, uh, but this team lacks a lot on the inside. Um, Cam Johnson's kind of hit or miss defensively. Kobe White and Nasir Little uh, are, are freshmen trying to learn how to play defense. And, you know, just from what I've seen thus far, I know Roy likes to talk about always getting better defensively, and I'm sure they will get better defensively. But this is not a team that's going to start locking teams down. I just don't see how that's going to happen. This is more the type of defense where you want them to use that length to get into the passing lanes and and deflect some some passes and, and score some points off turnovers, which Carolina did. They had 15 points off turnovers. And then they're also, because of that length, they can dominate the glass, which is exactly what they did. They, they had a 27 to zip advantage and second chance points so when you kind of wrap all that up together i really think this is this is kind of you know what north carolina should aspire to can they get better than this maybe but i think this is a pretty high bar for north carolina to set this early in the season ross you're up i mean tell me why carolina can be better than they were against gonzaga i mean i think it's a it's kind of a bold take by by greg there i mean there's so much left uh, from this team and so many players who can improve. I mean, I think a lot of guys haven't been close to reaching their potential, what they can do this season. I think we kind of have seen the, the best of Cameron Johnson and what he did last night is, is, is the best of what you can expect from him. Eight for 12 from the field, six for eight from three point line and just pretty much making everything he shot. Um, but I think 
I know Roy would like to see a lot more from Garrison Brooks and Sterling Manley defensively and offensively. I mean, Manley has been a non-factor uh, as an offensive force. Uh, you know, he's not getting too much time either. And I think Luke May, um, he had a pretty good, yeah, I guess 20 and 16 is pretty good, but he hasn't had that really big offensive performance like he had uh, a lot of times last year when he would just be nailing threes and, and scoring kind of at will and from all three levels. And in the freshman, I think we saw what White can do against Texas and, and to a lesser extent against uh, UCLA. And I think he has the potential to have big-time games. So I think they can even be better offensively uh, just with more standout players Maybe the numbers and percentages might remain the same, but I think you'll get different performances from different players, and that makes the team more complete and helps everyone out when you have to worry about a variety of, of starters there. And then the Sierra Little, I think, is just still not where anybody would want him to be offensively. Um, at times lost uh, turnovers, and he had two turnovers yesterday and just didn't feel like he was in the flow of the offense. So I think there's just a lot of improvement from a lot of different players that can make this team more complete. But that being said, I mean, it was a great performance against a really good Gonzaga team that really has some big-time athletes um, and some big-time length and size down low. So uh, from a shooting perspective, maybe uh, that's that's the best we're going to see, 52% from three. It's pretty incredible. We rarely see uh, above you know, 40 50%. Um, and I think this team will have chances to get better offensively, especially with the freshmen. I mean, you would think Nasir Little and Kobe White being the best two athletes on the court could be better defensively, but um, as of right now, that hasn't proved to be true. Greg, when I watch the game, I, I see Cam Johnson. I I tend to agree. That's that's as good as he is. Um, I mean, to be better, he has to shoot it perfectly. Um, I thought the biggest play from Cam Johnson was the dunk. Uh, I think that was a, a big tone setter, and I think it caught Gonzaga off guard, to be honest with you, and it looked like um, it really turned Carolina up on that. But as far as everybody else, I mean, Luke May's 20 and 16. I, I think we'd agree that it was awful quiet, 20 and 16. I think it was 16. And But like Ross said, Nasir Little can be a lot better. Uh, Garrison Brooks, 9 and 9. I think that's great. I think Coach, yeah, Coach Williams said that after the game. He'd take that every day. And uh, I tend to agree with that, but. Kenny, we, I mean, I just see so much growth and then cutting down the turnovers, the, the turnovers that are worrisome is, and Greg, I do want you to comment on this because you see it more than I do. I, I think there's still a lack of ability to feed the post and you get some turnovers there. Uh, but those turnovers out top, like Coach Williams said, guard to guard passing. I mean, that's, those were lazy. And I think those are easily correctable. So I, I see a lot of growth, even offensively. Now, defensive, another another egg altogether. We can talk about that. Um, but just offensively, I, I think Carolina can be better than they were last night. Um, and and it sounds to me like your belief is that's about as good as it gets. And I, it was really good. But anyway, your thoughts on, on the turnover aspect of it, that, that alone, they could get a lot better on that. Well, for sure, and I think there were some some sloppy turnovers, no doubt. I mean, when you look at you know, seventh and and Kobe combined for eight turnovers, you cannot have that out of your out of your point guards. That's that's, that's not a good look. Um, and you know, even you Luke had a couple, and Kenny Williams uncharacteristically had some some bad turnovers, uh, which is kind of not what he's been been doing. He's been pretty uh, pretty clean with how he's played this year. Um, so yeah, I mean you're going to, you're going to cut down on the turnover. I haven't seen them be that bad, but to be fair, uh, I believe they've had 15 or more in half the games this year. So that's been a trend, uh, not to the extent that we saw against Gonzaga, uh, but they have had some issues taking care of the ball. And so that is an area where they certainly will improve. And as as Kobe in seventh, even though he's a junior, as those guys continue to get valuable minutes for for this team, they will kind of calm down in that regard, and that will help. And I do think that some of the entry passes are are an issue right now. Um, that's kind of limited. You know, Luke May can kind of create on his own a bit in the post. But for Garrison and for Sterling especially, they've got to have the ball really get to them where they need it, when they're set up in the right position. That's not happening a lot. And so when you're giving them those guys the ball and they're having to kind of make things work for themselves, that's a difficult ask right now. And so that that's part of the issue. 
Um, but you know, when you when you factor in how well they shot, I mean, we have not seen Cam Johnson, Luke May, and Kobe White play the kind of the way they did. And when you factor in what seventh did, I think it's a I think it's a stretch to really think that this offense can be a lot better than what it was. It may look a little bit different in terms of cutting down turnovers, but you may not get the efficiency out of some of these guys. I mean, as, as Kenny said last night, they scored 103 points against a team like Gonzaga. And let me say this. I think Gonzaga and Michigan are probably the two best teams I've seen this year. Now, I have seen them up close and personal, so maybe Kansas is, is better than both those teams. And maybe Duke will get to the point where they can be better than both of those teams. But Gonzaga is missing some key pieces right now. They're only going to get better. Um, but, I, I mean, Hachimura and, and Clark are fantastic in the post. I mean, those, those are really tough guards. And North Carolina did a pretty good job against those guys. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe, I'm all, maybe I'm wrong. But to, to beat a team like Gonzaga, with it really not being in doubt the last 30 minutes of the game, uh, the, the way that North Carolina did, I, I think it was a very impressive performance. And, and like I said, I, I just, I'll be surprised if we see much better than what we did. What concerns me about this team, and Greg touched on it, was, is just the lack of post-scoring. Because uh, they're not going to shoot like this in every game. Uh, this is, I think, an outlier in terms of how well they shot it from deep. And so the inconsistency with anybody really scoring down low, it, it seems like even Luke May is not getting as much down low as he did last year. And Garrison Brooks and Sterling Manley are not consistent go-to interior scorers. Uh, I think that's concerning, and that's been kind of my issue the whole year with this team. They don't have a, a really solid post score where you can get an entry pass, you can make one move, go up and get a basket, and count on that. Like you've had it with the Bryce Johnson or Tyler Hansborough or any of the, the the bigs from really good Roy Williams coach teams. What you do like is the rebounding. I mean. Even with small, even with a small lineup here and there, and no really giant guy on the court. I mean, Garrison Brooks is six nine. It's not like they have some dominant, huge, massive, athletic rebounder down there. They they killed Gonzaga on the boards, forty two to twenty one. We mentioned the offensive, the points off offensive rebounds was twenty seven to zero. Um, UNC had, I think, Greg had the stat in his article, but fourteen offensive rebounds to Gonzaga's sixteen defensive rebounds. So the, the, the way in which UNC controlled the boards um, is just a, you know, a statement for how Roy Williams likes his teams to play. And Mark Few brought, brought that up in his post-game press conference of just how, how that really affected the game and, and limited any chances Gonzaga had to score. And then they took advantage offensively off of uh, offensive rebounds, which is a, just an added bonus to your offensive game when you have a couple more shots on that side of the court. So, that's super encouraging with the rebounding against a, a good Gonzaga team. But the interior scoring, I think, is, is a way this team could improve if they can get some consistency down, consistency down low. Or it could be just a knock on this team and something we talk about throughout the season that's going to give them some struggles against uh, bigger and better teams in ACC play. I'm going to take a short break, come back, and Ross, I'm going to come back to you with my issue with this Tar Heel basketball team. We'll be right back. Ross, you mentioned the lack of post scoring, and I, I agree a hundred percent. That's an issue, and I mentioned that feeding the post because Manley and Brooks have to get it in scoring position, especially Manley, and he's struggled mightily. But the issue I think that is going to be if it's not cleared up at some point, and I think it's a valid discussion, is going to be the defensive end of the floor, and North Carolina just doesn't play it, especially compared to. Uh, the way teams in the past have all through the season, they get better, get better. Then tournament comes and they lock down. Greg, you mentioned they're not, they don't seem to be that type. So Ross, um, I think that'll be the issue. That'll be this team's undoing most likely towards the end of the season. Your thoughts on that end, because you mentioned they don't have a huge guy on rebounding. They don't have a, a glass cleaner um, or a, a rim protector either. Man, you know, Sterling Manley could be that guy if he would, if it would click, but defense is an issue. And I think it'll be an issue all year. You all remember in the uh, like middle, midway through the first half, um, that freshman for Gonzaga, uh, Petrozev, I think is his name. He backed down Sterling Manley in back to back possessions 
like Sterling Manley was, I mean, he provided no resistance. And I was like, man, how is this guy just backing down Manley? Um, I don't know what was going on there. And I think Manley got called for a foul. It was, it was kind of a push off that irked Roy Williams. But well, yeah, he did. He did stick his elbow in Manley's yeah. neck. But that's you know you got to be able to either stand your ground or you know flop. Uh, I mean, but yeah, he got destroyed on those two straight. And pressure. I was like, man, what is going on here? I mean, Sterling Manley's a big dude. He, he's strong. He's he's put on some weight. He's tall. That shouldn't be happening. I, that's just a more mentality thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a concern. I don't really know how much conversation there is about it. This team has some defensive post issues. I always find defense hard to write about and talk about. Um, I don't know if it's just getting tougher and and winning your one-on-one battles and making it a personal thing with Brooks Manley and and May, but uh, they're going to get you know they're going to get have some issues with with stronger teams. We saw it against Texas A and M, and I don't know if this is an issue of just uh, some some recruiting issues that we're kind of irking their head now or showing their head now um, of just not having the personnel they need to have dominant front court players, but this is the team they have. And this is going to be a thing that this team struggles with, but going small and, and being athletic has its advantages and they can shoot teams out of the building like they did last night. You know, if, if they can hide their defensive issues with, with strong offense, it, it's not a, a big time issue, but against teams like Virginia, they're going to have to, when the, when the pace gets slowed down, um, that's going to, that's going to become an issue like that. So, yeah, I don't even know if Greg has any different perspective on post-defense. It's something I think it's just either you have it or you don't, and it's, it's not super a, a conversation point that you can really dive into. Well, I think but, I think a lot of it, too, though, is when you look at you look at Brooks and you look at, at Manley and even Huffman, um, when you come into the college game, it's, it's first about footwork, right? I mean, you have, to, you have to be able to make sure you establish position, uh, you're set up properly, then you have to make sure that you have strength to be able to stop people from pushing you around because it doesn't matter what kind of footwork you have if the guys can just back you down easily. And then once you have those two things, you have to have confidence that, hey, you know what? I know I can do this. I've got it. Piece of cake. And that's easy for me to say, um, but that's that's kind of the steps. And so depending on your your development, that's – that's kind of how you get to that point. Bryce Johnson, I mean, he got pushed around for years, right? And Kennedy Meeks struggled with conditioning, and he got out of position a lot. And so when you have you elite talents that come in, like a Hansbro, um, some guys like that, maybe from the get-go, it's, it's easy to kind of polish those, those options, and you're pretty good immediately. Um, but when you got guys that are a little bit more raw, it takes time to develop. And I, I really believe confidence is such an, a critical part of defense that you just know you can lock somebody down. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that, that Roy is intent on playing Sterling and Garrison and some of those guys early in the year to let them get playing time so they can build that confidence. I mean, we all see Sterling Manley's potential. I mean, I, the guy could be a potential great player, I think. A very good player at the college level. He's not there yet. We know that. But that's why Roy keeps giving him these opportunities so he can gradually build up that confidence to, to maximize that potential. Um, it may not be this year. It may not be next year. But maybe by the time he, he leaves, he can be that type of player. But that's kind of what you're seeing right now is your Brooks is, I think he's t- taking a step forward, and that's why he's getting more playing time. That's why he played well against Gonzaga. Um, still not a, a lockdown defender whatsoever at this point, but he is getting better. Um, and I think he's a little bit ahead of Sterling in that regard, and both those guys are ahead of, of Huffman. Um, but there's a lot that goes into good post-defense. And the thing with Sterling, too, is with his length, you, you would think he could potentially be a, a, a rim protector. He's not that now, but if, if all that kind of comes in, uh, kind of rolls into a, a, a working product for him, whenever that hits, if it hits, he, he can be a, a very good player, I think. But in the meantime, you've got to build to that point, and that's kind of what North Carolina stuck with. What about uh, having Nasir Little becoming more of a post defender? I mean, he might be one of the stronger players on the on the court in terms of just how he's built that footwork too i mean i think he could be a guy that could 
go against you know a, a taller guy and have an impact just based on his athleticism. That could be a way he could help a team. Um, I think they, I think they have the guys to do it. It's just it's just getting the right matchups and putting it all together defensively. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right with Nazir because he he is strong as an ox and he's he's long and he he can be that kind of guy. But I think what Roy has pointed out so far this season, uh, both subtly and not so subtly, is that while Nazir has got the offensive game, uh, he's still kind of trying to learn his way within the offensive scheme. He's got a ways to go defensively, and so um, I, I think that's part of the equation too. Is while Nas has the size and the strength. And, and probably the confidence, he's got to fine tune you know, probably his footwork and some of his his defensive mechanisms uh, to get to a point where he can really be productive for him too. But yeah, no doubt that I think Nas um, he may be the the safer option right now if you want to go small to put him at the four. They're going to need him, especially against a team like Duke, uh, to put him down in the post and let him you know, try to defend Zion as best as you can defend Zion. T- ten minutes of post uh, defense talk for you there, Tommy. I, I love it, and it's, it has nothing. Y'all hit on y'all, y'all hit on everything I was going to talk about because it's not a height thing, as you saw what you mentioned the Gonzaga player just backing down Manly with ease, and I was sitting there thinking about a guy like Theo Pinson, who I think Nas could be a similar post yep. defender. Is uh, you got to have somebody that's going to stand their ground and. and play straight up defense and 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 what theo did well he was kind of crafty too he would use his quickness he used his experience he'd get a steal down there and he would just kind of outwit uh younger and more bigger but younger maybe more inexperienced defenders or offenders remember he guarded that 7-1 big man for florida state uh his junior season um in the dean dome i mean he was defending giant guys at as a 6-6 guy 6'6", 220, but he was smart, he was experienced, he knew how to play the game. And uh, that, that's a perfect example. Like you said, that was a great point there, Tommy. Great yeah. point, Tommy. Yeah, I appreciate the props once <laughs> once every while. But they, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's not just defending. It's, it's you know, preventing the ball from getting there. It's, it's ball denial and all. And that's the thing. If a guy's going to let, if Sterling Manley's going to let a guy catch it that easy on the block, he's going to get destroyed. And that's, that's Roy Williams' dilemma is, yeah, he wants to play the big lineup, and I get that. And and I thought Brooks and May, now Adrian Atkinson will throw some stats up that shoot this out of the water probably, but I thought Brooks and May together looked pretty good against Gonzaga. But Gonzaga's a different type team. They didn't have – or they don't really have a guard that breaks you down as much as some other teams Carolina will face. And, Greg, that's that's what I was watching. That You know, Carolina's got issues defensively. They've got – out front issues, stopping ball penetration, and they've got uh, post issues, and which is why I've said that's going to be the issue all along. I think they can shore up one of those two. I'm not sure they can do both. Um, how badly do you think Roy Williams wants to stick big, or do you think uh, going small is getting closer? Your your thoughts there, because he played Brooks and Manley, or excuse me, Brooks and May substantial together. Uh, but, you know, we've talked about we're at mid-December, mid to late December now. Do you think the small lineup is any closer to happening uh, than it has been thus far this season? That's a good question, Tommy. And I guess I would answer it by saying by saying this. I, I think if, if Garrison Brooks can continue to give you what he did against Gonzaga, that's only a, a benefit because – I truly believe that what Roy Williams is, is wanting to do at this point is maybe not so much say we're going to stick with the big lineup and that's how it's going to be. He hasn't been that way this year. I think it's really a matter of, okay, we we know you've got a pretty good option with your small lineup. And for most games, that's going to be fine. And that's going to be the lineup that you use in the closing minutes. And that's going to win you some ball games. No question about that. But are you playing it because you have to or because you want to? And I think that's really what it comes down to. Because last year, as you got into the late part of the season, especially in the postseason, North Carolina was leaning on that small lineup because they had to. 
And that was that was really the problem against Texas A&M. They were exposed because when they had to go with the big lineup, it just didn't work. And so I really think he's not doing it out of stubbornness. He's doing it out of a matter of saying, okay, we've got to keep this pretty split. And we got to keep giving Manley and Brooks plenty of opportunities because there are going to be games where we need those guys to perform. Now, they don't have to be incredible, but if you do nine and nine like Brooks did for 23 minutes, and that's incredible against a team like Gonzaga. And I know Gonzaga's star forward was out, but they still have two really good guys in Hachimura and Clark, as well as the Petrozev, or however you say his name, uh, coming off the bench. So uh, I think I think that's a positive. Um, you know, you would like to see Manley be a little bit more productive and and maybe Brooks even, you know, especially on the defensive end. But I think that was that was a good step in the right direction, even though we all know that this team with Johnson and Nas on the floor at the three and the four is the best lineup. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. But I don't think it even matters who starts or not, but I think it does matter who starts or not. Uh, but you're <laughs> right. The best lineups are going to be, I, I think, and Roy Williams did it against Gonzaga, is he had his best lineup out there when it right. mattered. Right. And um, I'm going to take another break. I'm going to come back. We're going to go to some Twitter questions. And I posted a Twitter question a couple hours ago before we reported this. And I, I guess I didn't bold it or bold it enough. No recruiting talk. We've got Don Callahan for football recruiting talk and Sherelle McMillan for basketball recruiting talk. They're the best in the business. Um, so – Check them out on the premium message boards and check them out on the podcast when we have them. I think John Siegley's got a Don Callahan podcast, maybe out now. Um, so you can check there for that. But I'm going to take a break, come back, and we'll answer some of these questions on Twitter. All right, Ross, you're first up. So let me see if I can find one of these Twitter questions. We're not going to answer any like coach football coaching questions or any like strength and conditioning questions that's uh for premium subscribers that kind of intel yep you got to get into the champagne room to get that kind of information tar pit premium or unc basketball premium that's where you get all that uh so let me ask you this first question what is the and i assume this is football and this is another thing that's incredible i think we all agree is that i ask a question on twitter after carolina beats the number four ranked team in the nation like a drum and every question's football related. So, what is the biggest position of need, Ross, considering the new staff's priorities and playing style? I think Mac Brown's going to bring talent across the board, but what's the most important place you find it on North Carolina in need of? Yeah, I think looking maybe two years down the line, given the fact that you know you bring in some freshmen, they're not going to be ready to go year one, being 2019. But I think there be, needs to be a complete revamp. Uh, at linebacker and defensive line. They're losing so much from last season. Um, Cole Holcomb as a linebacker, Dominic Ross and Jonathan Smith will be seniors next year. And then you have on the defensive line, he lost Jalen Dalton, uh, Malik Carney, Tyler Powell, Jeremiah Clark. Um, Aaron Crawford is coming back, but he'll be a senior. So they need some big-time talent, some big bodies, they just need some bodies who could provide some depth even next year uh, at defensive line and at linebacker. And if I'm correct, they don't have any uh, defensive linemen committed right now to the 2019 class. So that's a little concerning. But um, I think the, the, the defense is going to struggle next year uh, for UNC. Uh, it might be something you just have to accept because they lost so much. And it's not like this group was – uh, any sort of an incredible last year either, but it'll be a good test for new defensive coordinator Jay Bateman to see what he can do with uh, a group that's gonna is gonna be definitely growing and learning, and a lot of younger players are gonna have to step into prominent roles, guys we haven't seen yet, like a Jake Lawler, a Zach Gill, um, some of the younger linebackers who haven't played much, um, and to see how that happens. So that's I think it's hard not to uh, to disagree with that. Yeah. Uh, you hold on. You missed a commitment, Kevin Hester, uh, out of Georgia, defensive end, six six two thirty committed. 
um, not too long before we started recording this podcast. So Matt Brown's certainly going for the, the athletic lineman types. Go ahead, Greg. Yeah, I think, I think you always start with the, the trenches. So I think Ross is exactly right with focusing on the defensive line. Uh, with, with Chris Kapilovic, um, I know a lot of people uh, not a fan of kind of how, how he, he ran things for, for a variety of reasons, but I think you have to give him credit for recruiting very well along the offensive line. And I think the fact that, well, Charlie Hack and William Sweet uh, may flirt with the NFL, uh, I think they've got a lot of good pieces coming back. Defensive line-wise, however, I think there's a lot of concerns. And I think while we focus so heavily on the recruiting aspect of what this coaching staff has to do in a short amount of time, uh, I think there's a recruiting aspect involved with, with the guys uh, coming back as, as critical as well because uh, Strobridge you know, and Aaron Crawford are guys that, uh, you know, maybe maybe they're they're looking at the NFL as, as an option. Maybe they're looking uh, at other options with, with another team potentially. And so not that, you know, not suggesting that they are, but just saying you've got to make sure as a coaching staff that, that you nail those guys down and convince them that, hey, make sure you come back next year because we have the chance to be really good. We want you to be a part of this. Because you know, without Crawford, without Strobridge, uh, there's a lot of question marks because you do lose a lot. I mean, you, you lose some, some key pieces with Millie Carney and Jalen Dalton, Tyler Powell, I think had a very underrated year, um, Jeremiah Clark. I mean, some, some veterans that have played a lot of games for you. And so when you start looking at that defensive line, and we're still not sure at this point in time, uh, we know that Jay Bateman uh, has preferred that 3-4 scheme, and we would think that that would continue. Uh, but he's also the kind of type that, at least initially, he's going to utilize his personnel to the best of his ability. Uh, so that could be a 4-3. We're, we're not sure yet. Uh, but even so, when you look at kind of what they have along the, the defensive line, I mean, you know, Jaleel Taylor is a, a young guy. Uh, at nose guards, probably going back up Crawford. Zach Gill got a little bit of playing time, still very young. Gavin Lewis uh, hadn't progressed quite enough to be able to to burn a lot of uh, snaps last year, uh, kept his red shirt on. And then you, you get Alan Cater back from a knee injury uh, and Tamon Fox. But really beyond that, you've got a lot of untested guys. I mean, Chris Collins showed that he can do some things. Tyrone Hopper is kind of a veteran but not a lot of names there that really impress you along the defensive line. So uh, I think you, you have to uh, develop that position. You have to make sure Crawford and Strobridge uh, come back, and you have to make sure that if you can still a few guys, uh, like, like you mentioned with Hester, uh, to kind of come in and maybe make an impact early, that's really going to be the most critical piece of this, this puzzle, I think. The hardest two positions to recruit are defensive line and offensive line. And it's just so challenging to find the guys who are 6'3", plus 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", that kind of range, 6'6", who are quick enough to play both positions and who have the frame and the ability to put on weight and are big enough to, to play that role. It's such a challenge to find defensive linemen. And then, and then the other issues about getting people in school, and it's just there's not many out there. So you have to have good recruiters, and um, it's just it's a challenge. That's why you find these guys, they find that are 6'4", but like 210, and they turn him into, you know, strong side defensive ends or a guy that's 6'4", 240, and turn him into a, a defensive tackle like Jalen Dalton. It's a challenge on the defensive line, offensive line. I think one of the biggest recruiting moves will be keeping William Sweet. Uh, you heard a lot of buzz about definitely him wanting to go to the NFL and definitely testing his name. So getting those guys back, um, like, like Greg just mentioned, um, is going to be big as well. And that's great points uh, about um, attrition. You know, we saw a lot of guys decommit, um, whether they wanted to or not, uh, not really the point. But you also have to – you've got a completely new staff. And no matter what the fans thought of a staff before, uh, players had relationships with those guys, some good, some bad. But, you know, you expect some attrition. And if folks remember Mac Brown when he took over – Back in '88, there was plenty of attrition. I mean, they could have gone a lot better than one in ten, two straight years. But he wanted to rebuild it from the, you know, literally from the ground up, and that's what he did. He did say Saturday night at halftime that they he plans on winning now, 
it'll be interesting to watch how those guys that are already on uh, on the roster, how they adapt to the new guys. Um, you know, it, it's not always as smooth and as rosy as everybody seems to think it is or would expect it to be. You know, if they like them like the fan base likes Mac Brown and the staff he's put together, then it's going to be a wonderful thing. But I just don't think that's how it really works in the real world. Um, which brings me to my next question, and it's sort of a recruiting-related question, Ross. And I'll start with you since you've been the guy that's been out there getting us pictures of the uh, the updates. But Ed Page asked about Mac Brown, and when he came last time, he spearheaded some improvements. Um, obviously the indoor practice facility is about ready, if not ready, um, for full use, but what, do, what's coming down the pike as far as football, uh, improvements, I would think Keenan football center needs to be updated substantially, especially in the locker room area and weight room and all that stuff. But what are you hearing or what are your thoughts on that? As far as Mac Brown coming in and making uh, a mark in that regard? Yeah. I mean, and y'all been around the program longer than I have, but I think the weight room is maybe the next big switch or, or just a revamp of the Keenan football center in general, the uh, administrative side of it there at the end of the end zone. Um, you compare what UNC has to some other programs in the ACC and, and definitely the SEC. And the weight room is kind of small. It's kind of cramped in there. And that kind of, th- those things are what you show off to recruits. And so you want that space to, to be shiny and new and, and big. And, and I think that could definitely need a change beyond that. I'm not, I'm not, maybe not the best guy to answer this one. I mean, Greg, you kind of, you think of anything that's going to need revamping outside of the weight room? I mean, I don't know the coaches offices. I'm sure that's not like a huge deal. Um, but things like that, the things that show recruits are the things they need to move forward with. And yeah, uh, that's, that that's exactly right. Cause I, when I spoke with, with Larry, uh, last summer, we we talked about this, and and obviously at that point in time, the the key was getting the, the indoor practice facility completed, and uh, it's it's just about done, I think. Uh, still not quite ready, but it should be ready at least for for spring ball. Uh, but he was pretty adamant that the, the next step after they got the the indoor practice facility done uh, was to renovate uh, the Keenan Football Center because the last time. Uh, they worked on that. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but it was. I mean, because it was <laughs> you, Mac Brown spearheaded that. Uh, so it's been 20 years, and so there are some some updates that that need to take place. And there's been some minor ones done, uh, but they do need to redo the you know, some of the maybe not the whole locker room area, but that that area down there with the equipment room and the weight room and all those kind of things, and maybe reconfigure some of the office space and, and that type of stuff. So, so that was the, that was the uh, plan. I don't know how that will change now that Mac Brown is, is here. Uh, but I imagine it's kind of the interesting dynamic of Mac pushed so hard to be able to get that, that Keenan football center. And yet he never got the opportunity to, uh, to actually spend some time there and coach from there. And so and, now we're at a point where maybe, maybe they need some upgrades from, from what he originally planned. And the irony of that is uh, Larry Fedora pushed for the indoor facility. That's right. And he's not going to be able to use that at all. If he had, <laughs> what, maybe three or four practices, maybe, in that indoor facility, uh, yep. it'll be full operational this spring. But, I mean, that, that's a pretty cool thing they have there. I mean, they have the newest indoor facility in the country. Uh, and it's massive, and I'm sure it's got all the bells and whistles inside. Love to get a full tour of that. But that's a huge recruiting tool. That's where they'll spend a lot of time. They're probably going to do more than just practice in there uh, in terms of training and, and testing and things like that. So that's definitely a – I mean, they're on the cutting edge in terms of newness and renovation with that building. Greg, whatever happened to all the – you know, they had all the sketches of Keenan Stadium and they were going to redo the outside of Keenan Stadium and do all of that. Whatever happened with those plans? Well, a lot of that came about during the Butch Davis years. And you know, they had they had planned to – to build the blue zone, and then they were going to redo the uh, south uh, south side press box, which is where we sit. And there's going to be a brand new facility there. Uh, but when everything kind of went off the rails back in 2010, I think they pretty much scrapped all those plans. Uh, and I, I think it became a matter of the indoor facility was was more needed. So I don't know if that's a situation where they just punted to a later date or they just scrapped it completely. And at some point down the road, we'll probably revisit that. 
It's all about winning. They win some ball games. Uh, that stuff becomes more and more likely, which leads me to another question. Ross, what's more likely, Carolina winning a basketball title this year or Carolina football starting 4-0? South Carolina, Wake Forest, App State, and Mercer. I don't think it's Mercer. It's Mercer later in the season. So, yeah, I don't know the first four, but definitely Wake, App State, and South Carolina will be among the first four. Of course, the ACC schedule will come out at some point. So, 4-0 and in football or national championship, Ross? You got to go 4-0 and in football. Uh, I just think it's so hard to win a national championship. A lot of things have to go right. Now, if this was the 2019 team, 2009 team in basketball or 2005 team or even the 2012 team, it'd be easier to make that bet. But I don't know if UNC is even a top eight team right now in, in basketball. I think they have the potential to be a Final Four team. But even then, uh, there's a lot of good teams out there, Duke, uh, Kansas, uh, all the, the, the normal characters. And I think you know South Carolina, with all the hype coming up, it could be a, a winnable game. I'm sure South Carolina will be favored in that one in Charlotte on August 31st. But certainly Wake, App State, and that unknown, unannounced fourth opponent where you think is going to be an ACC game could be a winnable one. Maybe it's Pitt, and then UNC could, of course, beat Pitt. Um, so, yeah, I think winning, uh, going 4-0 is a uh, – could be likely, although I would not put money on either. Greg, answer that question, but also tell me what it would be like in Chapel Hill if football teams started 4-0. Well, I, how about I'm gonna change the question to to suit my suit my needs here, but I'll say that it's more likely for UNC to reach the Final Four than it would be for the football team to start four and out. How's that? That's probably more fair. That's a more realistic yeah, comparison. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think I, I think Mac Brown uh, when he when he took the floor and said that he expects to win now. I think he means that, and I think he understands that there is talent on this team, and the fact that a lot of the guys that played this year will be coming back. Um, when you factor in all the injuries this team went through, and and some of the despair and, and loss of confidence, I think there's reason to think this team can bounce back pretty quickly. Now, does that mean starting four and zero? That's probably a stretch, but I do think the fact that you know, Mac Brown had made a name for himself with the state championship deal. And the fact that you you couldn't set this up better with it being South Carolina, Wake Forest, App State, and if you get lucky, you maybe it's maybe it's Duke or even Virginia for that first ACC game, uh, that would really work out well. And that would give you a lot to kind of build around and rally around. And we've talked about this for years, but the ACC right now, is Clemson and everybody else. And I don't think South Carolina is some great team. Uh, I do think South Carolina is a good team. I think Wake Forest will be a good team. I think App State will continue to be a good team. So these North Carolina will have to play well to win these games. But these aren't unwinnable games by any stretch. Uh, and so I think North Carolina is poised to have a pretty good first year under Mac Brown, which is what they need for a variety of reasons. Uh, you know, I, I don't see this team competing with with Clemson really next year, uh, but but I you know, I think four and zero is is possible, and I think if they can win that game against South Carolina, there'll be so much hype from ESPN because it is Mac Brown. He did work for them for five years. Uh, that's going to be a very good opportunity for North Carolina to to wake up some of these national types who have really kind of uh, haven't been too impressed, I guess you would say, with the Mac Brown hire. It's going eh. Uh, but if you win that game against South Carolina, now all of a sudden people are talking and it really continues to build. And I, I think that's that's what North Carolina needs right now. I think UNC could ha- could be very good on offense, especially if they get all their five offensive linemen back. Um, and they have the pieces at running back and wide receiver. And if they just, just get the quarterback thing straight, uh, they'll be good. And the Phil Longo hire, proven offensive coordinator who, who can who can get things – Situated there, I think that's an easy kind of, not even a rebuild, but an easy kind of um, put in place and, and, and see how things go. So as as Mac Brown said last night, the train has taken off. Hop on board. I know that got <laughs> I know that got Tommy going. So hearing any of, this, any of this Mac Brown stuff gets you going. 
Hey man, relive the old days. He was there when I was at Carolina. I mean, yeah, really, it's just uh, it's like Back to the Future, which I said Mac to the Future. That one didn't catch on catch on as much as Return of the Mac, but I think it's better. A uh, couple of little questions I'll answer. Is he changing the in-state recruiting perception among kids this fast? I believe yes, but it's not going to result in guys that have been committed to schools for a year two years flipping as much as folks would like and much as folks might have thought about. Um, so I'm going to keep it light for our last question. And I'm going to ask Ross the question first. Um, Cause I, I know who your answer is not going to be. <laughs> Say who asked it to so uh, names out there. Chandler Zirkel ask question for Ross. Who is your favorite IC staff member and why? Uh, well, the given is Buck Sanders. Go ahead and get that one out of the way. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go Don Callahan. He just keeps me He keeps me wanting more by, by not revealing recruiting scoops to even his coworkers. And uh, that kind of – that game he plays with us uh, makes me want him more and more. And uh, he is my favorite staff member, I think. And then – I'm not not joking around. I think Don does a great job. He's been killing it recently. Um, you know, Greg's Greg's. A, I don't really know how to answer this. Greg's I think a, it Greg, said staff member, like a member, as in one. Oh, I'll go Don Callahan. I like working with Greg though. Greg's a great coworker. Greg, your choice. I think we'll put Buck and even Ben on a certain level, and we'll say you know those guys are like always because they have to be. Shout out, Buck. Uh, but Greg, your favorite? Well, I, I'll just say that I was I was offended with Ross's answer because my answer was going to be Ross. So <laughs> I have to go with uh, Ross Martin. You know Why? what? What would have been great is if you just said, you know, the man I see in the mirror every morning. Yeah. <laughs> Why Ross, Greg? And I'm offended on both of you. I'm going to delete you both out of this conversation. <laughs> No, I, I, I will say this. I, I think we have a very unique crew um, in terms of different personalities because when before Ross came on board, uh, Ross is always kind of the hot take guy. And I've, I've never been wired that way. And um, Ross would always would always kind of push the, the hot take angle. And I just kind of dismiss it. But then once he joined the team, I started to realize the value of that in terms of in terms of getting attention and getting um, traffic and those types of things. So he's kind of opened my eyes to some of that, but <laughs> when you talk about, you talk about, you know, Don, you talk about Shrell. I think those two guys kind of go hand in hand in terms of just being, um, you, they have every reason to be cocky in what they do because they are so good at what they do, but neither of them are whatsoever. Uh, I think that's very refreshing that they know so much and yet, it's, you know, it's very modest in how they approach things. And, uh, you know, Tommy, I mean, with you hosting these podcasts, I mean, we go back how long with these things? Oof. I can remember back when you were, when you and me were both kind of fumbling over words when, when Taylor Zarzer was, was helping us with these things. So Yeah, uh, we had um, Taylor. During the, conver- during the conversation as well. Yeah, Walter and Stillman and all those guys. Yeah, uh-huh. we used to do them with uh, Zarzer. We did them with Dave Nathan. And now look at Dave Nathan. Right. He's like the man on the – he he works for the man now. And then you mentioned Walter Storholt and all those guys. I mean, I used to just do it for the food, you know, go to the <laughs> CHL pregame and just get fed. Go ahead, Ross. I mean, I'll say this. I mean, as kind of one of the newer guys, it's such a unique uh, combination of personalities and, and work types because uh, I would think personality-wise, Greg and I are very different. But that uh, difference in personality, I think, works really well on podcasts, even style of writing, that that combination as the two beat two main beat writers work so well. Um, and then the guys behind the scenes, I mean, John Bowman, y'all don't really realize how much John Bowman, our video intern, does behind the scenes. Um, you know, he has an article here and there, but he's doing all of our video work, all our cutting work, and it makes life a lot easier for Greg and Ben and I when he can just cut tape. So I want to give a shout out to John and, of course, Tommy and, Tommy and John Siegley and Michelle behind the scenes. It's just a good combination of personalities and work ethic that makes Inside Carolina so successful. 
coming, I mean, knowing inside Carolina before I joined the staff, you don't really realize all the work that goes in behind the scenes um, of people you don't really know. I think that's important to realize when it comes to Ben and Michelle and the video people and, and even Jim uh, Hawkins, photographer, that kind of stuff is it, super helpful to help um, what what Greg and, and myself and Sherelle and Don do in terms of like content on recruiting and team stuff. And I will say this about Hawkins. If you ever need a restaurant recommendation that's high quality, <laughs> across Jim the Hawkins country. is your man. Across the country, Jim Hawkins is your man. But you better understand that Jim Hawkins is a uh, – It's not going to be Hardee's. Yeah. You better uh, you better be taking stacks to the restaurant if you're going to eat with Jim Hawkins. Cause he priced he, me out early. He, <laughs> er, early on, I, I found out that I can't eat with Jim Hawkins. I'll be uh, – on welfare soon. Diana learned that. Diana learned that very early too. I mean, and that was crazy in Portland. Greg and I, and we had some other people with us, were just walking around trying to find a restaurant, and like nothing was good enough for Jim. And we were like, <laughs> it was like it's like the food capital of America, and like we couldn't find, we couldn't settle in a restaurant. There's so many great stories with Hawk there, but Greg, you remember riding from the hotel to. Uh, Williams Bryce Stadium in South Carolina. It was like 105 degrees. Deanna was in the car with us. That traffic, we had to go like a mile. Yep. It took an hour and a half. Um, yep. With Hawkins driving us around, that was fun times. Uh, a lot of good people at Inside Carolina, and um, a lot of good people do a lot of hard work for everybody to listen to these shows, to read all the content, to get all the scoop. A lot of people think, you know, they like, you know, tell me who's recruiting or tell me who, what commitment or what coach or whatever. And you think folks just say, Oh yeah, well I know what they know because they work their butts off and uh, get it done. And it pays off inside Collins, pretty cool place to work for guys. It's been a fun show. We'll do another one as soon as possible, but that'll do it for this one. Ross and Greg appreciate it as always. And if we don't talk before the holiday, have a great one. Thanks Tommy. Thanks Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.